online. And uh, please feel free tonight to uh, join us in comment as well. Uh, your thoughts are valuable, and we will do our best to try to uh, keep up with them on here online, uh, assuming that I can bring up your comments here online. Uh, and if someone else is watching them and I miss what's happening, uh, raise a hand or something like that so that we can um, all be a part of this discussion. And even if you're watching this discussion later, you're welcome to make comments and be a part of the things that are happening with us here online. Um, first off, I want to thank you for coming tonight. Uh, I, I do, for those of you who haven't heard, I do want to mention that uh, our, our week so far has been uh, chaotic and interesting. So my mother-in-law passed away this morning, uh, right around midnight. And, uh, but a lot of goodness of God in her being able to be not at the nursing home by herself, but instead in our living room with, seemed like the population of the whole world around her. And uh, I don't know how much she was aware of us. She hasn't really woken up, per se, for, uh, since Easter, since she fell and broke her leg. Uh, but I think there was enough there that I think she recognized her family was around her. And we're, we're thankful that she's with the Lord. We're thankful that, that death is deliverance, <laughs> that all of the things that were causing her pain and loneliness and misgivings and you know, all the struggles of this life, she doesn't have to deal with any of that anymore. She's with... Uh, two daughters that are preceded her there, several grandchildren, as well as her husband and parents. So uh, we have arrangements getting made. Looks like Monday uh, morning is going to be our visitation at McGinnis Funeral Home down in Washington Township, like 9 to 11 with a service at 11. So anyone is welcome to join us, but you're certainly also just welcome to pray from wherever you can for the family. A lot of folks are flying in in the next few days. And... Uh, you know, it's going to be a, a bittersweet time, but we're going to celebrate the gift that God's given us, and uh, I think God will be honored in all of it. So that's just a little update on us. Uh, we are also a lot of things going on for church, so please keep up to date on those things. Um, this past weekend, for the Q&A that we're trying to do after the second service, we actually did not get any questions this week, so I am going to... Uh, I don't know, say a lot of controversial things on Sunday to like <laughs> prompt you into asking some questions on Sunday. Uh, but we are going to try to um, get more quickly back there. We would love for people at the 10 a.m. service to join us. So like 11.15 or 11.20, we'll try to start it. It'll probably be a half hour. Come join us. You can ask questions in person uh, back in the youth room. And we're going to record that and then post it. We're going to try that through the month of May and see if it's something that we can develop as a culture. I think it would be so cool if we could have a discussion about what God is teaching us on Sunday mornings. But we'll see if that's something God's going to do or not. But we wanted to give it a little more time because we ran into technical difficulties the first week, and this week we couldn't pull it together. So we didn't want to just go one more week. We want to kind of give it through the month of May. And then Young Married's game night. I am so excited about all the young married couples at Hope. Uh, and I think that this is going to be a, an evening to, that, that connection begins for a lot of them in that way where they're transitioning in their minds from, yeah, we're just young people and we don't really know what's going on at church or whatever, to like ownership of their faith and their fellowship and their community and praying for one another and all that stuff in, in real grown-up adult kind of things. So 
that game night is a kickoff for that. I know there's a, a small group that's following up on that. Um, so that's really cool. And we're not just all about young people. We got a single adults group going. We've got a ladies night out coming up on May 7th. We got small groups coming up. So there's all kinds of stuff for us to get involved in and engaged in. And uh, I think God is at work in really powerful and big ways here at Hope. I'm excited for it. I'm glad for it because I believe that if God is not the one doing the work, what are we doing? <laughs> if it's you and I, if it's the strength of our personality or our wisdom or whatever, we might as well throw in the towel. So, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight in Ephesians 5. So I'm going to read to you the one verse. Actually, we're going to look at the second half of this verse tonight. So we're not getting very far, but we're going to look at a really big topic for believers. And uh, I need you to have your Bible at the ready and to be ready to volunteer for me to read verses because we have, I don't know, I didn't count all these, but we have a whole mess of verses on our note sheet as we're going to do somewhat of a survey on this topic through Scripture. And we're going to do this study where as we walk through it, Maybe it helps us understand this concept, which is, I think, one of the main concepts of practical Christian living. I know that we talk about love God and love your neighbor. These are the great commands, and that's practical Christian living. I know that we talk about forgiveness. That's practical Christian living. But sometimes it's like, how do you do that? And the Bible gives this answer. And I don't know if we really understand this answer because it's, it's something that is a walk of faith, a walk of experience. It's discipleship. It's not step one, two, three. It's not uh, little bites, sound bites that are easy to be like, oh, I got it, and just go on. You have to learn how to do this over time. And I don't know how many people have patience to do that or how many churches are more interested in you know, either judging everybody or gathering as many as possible versus the the really patient work of learning to do what we're going to talk about tonight. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul says this, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Simple phrase. And what we're going to look at is those last few words, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. So what we talked about last week was that when we talk about, un, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of God is be filled with the Spirit. That in this context, in this passage, it's not the entirety of God's will. There are other things he says, but this is part and parcel of what God's will is for your life. I don't want to make the wrong choice. I just want to know what God's will is. God's will for your life is to be filled with the Spirit. And I will tell you pastorally, if you would be filled with the Spirit every time you came to, I don't know what to do, I think you'd be fine. I, don't, I think the decisions you made and the choices you made, and the, I think you'd be good. Because even if you took like a step this direction and, and that's not what God wanted you to do, if you were filled with the Spirit, I think you would be able to course correct quickly. You'd be sensitive to God's instructions, God's promptings, God's moving, and you would have the faith to walk out any fallout from, from a slight misstep. Want to know God's will? God wants you to be filled with the Spirit. How are we filled with the Spirit? That's the rub, isn't it? How do we get filled with the Spirit? Well, the first part of the verse is what we talked about a lot last week. 
Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. It is the contrast that Paul draws. Getting drunk with wine is contrasted to being filled with the Spirit. And we saw some of the crossovers of how it influences the way you think, the way you perceive the world, the way you think of yourself. And so there's some crossovers to it. And leading to debauchery, the word debauchery is best summed up as wasted living, literally an abandoned life, living an empty, pointless, fruitless life. So getting drunk with wine, in other words, using alcohol to excess, using alcohol in a way that, that brings this altered state to your life, whatever it is, Paul says that leads to an emptiness, a wastedness, a throwing away of time, time that you can't get back. But instead, be filled with the Spirit. So I, I'm not going to ask you to say this out loud. I just want you to think about it for a second. If someone came to you, let's say it was a non-believer or a new believer, and they said, all right, I'm reading this thing in Paul, and he says we should be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? What do I do? How am I supposed to do that? I mean, I know what it means. Um, you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully with your neighbor. I get that. Do not let the sun go down while you're angry. Okay, I got that. Uh, do not steal any longer. Okay, I got that. Like I, we know those things. Those are measurables. This is be filled with the Spirit. How do I do that? How does that happen? Is it a, a, a switch that I flip somewhere and, and here we go, off we go, filled with the Spirit? It is something that really trips up believers a lot. And some of the language in Scripture trips up believers because clearly we have the Spirit when we get saved. We saw back in Ephesians chapter 1, you are sealed by His Spirit, which is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the day of redemption, so that when you trust Christ as your Savior, when you are born again, the Spirit of God comes into you. You have Him. You do not need to go get Him somewhere. He's in you. That's why Peter says in, in 2 Peter 1, God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. I think in, in uncertain times like this where I don't know what's going on, I don't know what's coming, if we could just memorize 2 Peter 1, I think it's verse 3 or verse 4, says, He has given you everything you need for life and godliness. And we could just believe that? That we have what we need? That means I don't know what to do about this, but I know I have what I need. There's a confidence, there's a settledness, there's a peace that comes from that that I think would be huge for us as believers. So we have the Spirit, and by having the Spirit, that means, think about this, we have Almighty God living in us. That really is mind-blowing, isn't it? The God of the universe has taken up residence inside of me. But that drives me to this question. Does my life look like Almighty God is living in me? Does my mind work like He is living in me? Does my heart, does my mouth work like that? Does my time scheduling work like Almighty God? I heard this years ago. Francis Chan wrote a book called uh, Forgotten God. And one of the things he said, it was, it's all about the Holy Spirit. One of the things he said that just has stuck with me and challenged me is we are really good, especially if, you, if, if some, somebody's called to ministry, we are really good at putting together programs and making plans and this sounds like this would be a good idea and that, and we put it all together. Let's say we put together the perfect program 
And it would be great whether the Spirit showed up or not. We've missed the whole point, haven't we? He said, you know, what a shame that the Spirit of the living God is in the people of God and we plan services where if God's Spirit shows up, that would be nice. But if he doesn't, we're going to do our thing and it's okay. We're just, we're just so off in how we do this. Desperate for God's Spirit to do what God can do. Seeking him in our services. So we have the Spirit and the Spirit of the living God's inside of us. We saw back in chapter 4 that we can grieve the Spirit. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So we're sealed with him. Do not grieve him by doing things that he's saying, that's dangerous, that's poisonous, that's wrong. Don't go down those paths. That's not who you are. You're not children of darkness. You're children of light. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. So being filled with the Spirit. What do we learn about that in the Word of God? A lot of people, and especially people who um, are more charismatic, Pentecostal, would take a lot of what's in the book of Acts and say, that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. I don't want to spend a ton of time in there, in part because it, it, to me it's a little bit of a misnomer about being filled with the Spirit. There are sign gifts in uh, Acts, one of them being speaking in tongues. And when the Spirit comes on them, in Acts 2, in Acts 10, in Acts 16, like every time the Spirit comes on a new group of people, uh, now we're in Europe, now we're with Gentiles, now we're whatever, in Cornelius, they speak in tongues. And it's a very clear evidence that the Spirit has come on them. An unseen Spirit, but a powerful force that does miraculous things. And so often in Acts, it is connected to speaking in tongues. People who today believe that tongues are for today would tend to believe that being filled with the Spirit equals speaking in tongues. I would say even if the gift of the tongues is for today, that is a false equality. It's something God used sometimes, but I guarantee you, Paul was filled in the Spirit a lot more often than whenever he spoke in tongues. In other words, when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, he's not speaking in tongues, but do you think he was filled with the Spirit? See what I mean? It's a false equality. It, being filled with the Spirit is not speaking in tongues. Often in, in the book of Acts, it did involve speaking. Acts 6, we find that Stephen, one of the first deacons, is filled with the Spirit, and he speaks to those who argue with him in the power of the Spirit, convincing them, speaking in ways that they cannot stand against. Peter and other believers are filled with the Spirit in Acts 4 and speak boldly. We'll see that verse in a minute. Paul in Acts 13, filled with the Spirit, speaks. And so the Spirit drives us to speak things sometimes. But is that the full total of it? The command, be filled with the Spirit here, is in a verb tense that means be continually and always filled with the Spirit. Be continually and always filled with the Spirit. Now that sounds like it's not something that I do on a Sunday morning in a worship service once a week, doesn't it? Be continually and always filled with the Spirit. If it's that pertinent, if it's that prominent, if it's all the time like that, that I'm supposed to be filled with the Spirit, then maybe I need to spend a little more effort figuring out if I am or if I am not. So let's think through what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It is not the same as having the Spirit. It is allowing the Spirit to have us. 
It is allowing the Spirit to be my power, my direction, to take over my life, to be in charge of me, my actions, my attitudes, my thoughts. So as I think about what it means to be filled with the Spirit, I think what we should do that will help us get a, a picture of this being filled with the Spirit, and I think after this we'll see what Paul says to do, one of the things we can do so that the Spirit fills us, so that the Spirit takes us over. And you'd be surprised, it's pretty easy and it's pretty practical. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. But how do I know if I am? We're going to do this survey about where the Bible talks about what the Spirit gives us. And then we're going to do a survey in the Bible about what the Spirit does in us or does through us. Not comprehensive. I, don't, I haven't gone through an exhaustive search of Scripture on this. But just some things that came to mind as I thought about what does the Spirit give us? Because if I'm going to be filled with the Spirit and the Spirit gives certain things, then those things should be appearing in my life, right? Wouldn't that make sense? If, I, if the Spirit's in me, if I, if, I, if I have the Spirit in me, then the potential for those things are here. But when I am filled with the Spirit, when I allow the Spirit to take over, these are the things that pour out of my life. How do I know that? Well, let's start at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Who wants to read some of these verses for me? Who wants to grab Galatians 5, 22 and 23 for me tonight? Okay, Gene. And then Romans 5, 5. All right, Charlotte. Luke chapter 10, verse 21. Matt. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 1, 6. I told you we have a lot of verses, so I'm coming your way. All right, Lauren. Uh, Romans 8, 6. All right, May. Uh, John 14, 26 and 27. And then just hold on to it because we're going to come back to 14, 26. He wants to go John 14, 26 and 27. All right? Um, that we'll, we'll, go, we'll start with those guys. All right? Then we'll get some more. All right, so Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. We've heard this before, but listen to what it says are results of the, the Spirit working in my life. Right. So the fruit of the Spirit, it, here's a list. It's probably not everything the Spirit gives us, but it's, it's indicative. It, it shows us this is where the Spirit is at work. And it calls it fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. So why do you think Paul used that, uh, that word picture, fruit of the Spirit, to talk about these things like love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness, all that stuff to show up in my life? What is the significance of fruit of the Spirit? What do you think? Like a harvest, the vine and the branch. Okay. The vine and the branch being that organic connection where the branch receives life from the vine. It can't exist on its own. As long as it's in the vine, it produces fruit, Jesus says in John 15. Okay, so there's, a, there's an organic, life-giving connection. The same picture that we find in Galatians 5 of, fruit being produced through this living connection with the Spirit, okay? What else? Any other ideas about why fruit? You need, you need fruit 
Okay? So there's, there is a life-giving property to this fruit, and I would argue it's not that hard to see. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faith is life-giving. Right? It's kind of an end result of a growth process. Okay. Of a healthy, growing... It's the end result. It's not the first result. It's the end result of a process. Seeds. Seeds are in fruit. Yep. So it reproduces. It grows into more. It multiplies. So this is what he's talking about, the fruit of the Spirit. This thing explodes inside of you when you let... What explodes? Love, joy, peace, forbearance. What it means is when, when I am filled with the Spirit... This is what is produced in me. This is what grows. This is what bubbles over and reproduces. And by the way, have you ever like gone to an orchard, peach orchard or apple orchard or someplace where you know, grapevines or whatever are growing and heard the, the, the plants that are producing those, the trees, like struggling to produce fruit? Like, oh, I'm trying to get an apple to come out. Fruit is the natural product. It just happens. In other words, you, this is not a challenge. You need to be more loving. You need to have more peace. You need to have more self. It's not that. What he's saying is, when you let the Spirit have you, this is what he does in you. So when, when you're learning what it means to be filled with the Spirit, one of the things you're looking for is, What's, where are my thoughts directed or my attitudes or my time spent or whatever? What am I doing where this stuff is naturally being stirred up in me, growing up as fruit? The sweetness of it, the, the reproduction of it, where is that coming from? It's a great indicator of where the Spirit is at work in my life. So the fruit of the Spirit, to me, is a great place to start because it tells me that as I'm filled with the Spirit, what I will start to see is this stuff here. And maybe you wouldn't notice all of them. You wouldn't notice, man, I just have so much more self-control. But you'll probably notice some of them. Like life just is crumbling down and falling apart, and you're like, but I feel like there's peace in my soul, and I don't really know why, but I know that God has me, and I know that it's okay, and I know that God has a plan, so... I don't know what's going to happen, but I know I'm at peace. It's a fruit that's produced. It's not a fruit that I uh, make happen. It's a fruit that's produced in surrender to the Spirit. All right, love, let's go. I, I just thought it'd be nice to connect some of these in other places just in Galatians. Um, Romans 5, 5. Yeah, he has, by his spirit, he has poured out love in our hearts. So the spirit's work is to pour out love. So love is not, no matter what the world says or your flesh wants to believe, love is not just anything you want it to be. Love is not just love, whatever. And love is not about me. Who's love about? The other, someone else. 
So the Spirit pours out love in my heart. He pours out His love for me, but there's this idea that then I have love for others naturally. I have a concern for them. I feel their pain. I want to walk with them through their, their struggle and their suffering and their hardship. It matters to me. Even if all I can do is pray for them, I'm glad to pray for them because I love them. And it's not something where I had a, a pep talk. I've got to love them. How am I going to love them? I've got to figure out how to love them. It's not, it just happens as the Spirit has me, as I surrender to the Spirit. So love. Joy. Luke chapter 10, verse 21. Yeah, so the, the setup to this prayer that Jesus has is that he's full of joy through the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit gave him joy. I think one of the terrible calamities of our current culture is there's no joy left because we ain't got time for it. We are on the run. And, you know, you could get a chuckle from something funny on your phone, as you, but you can't really just, like, enjoy it. You can't just slow down and enjoy you have to move on because you got 20 more things to do all the time the spirit produces joy this i like this is filling my soul up this is bringing joy to my soul the spirit produces joy first thessalonians 1 6 With the joy given by the Holy Spirit. In suffering, the joy given by the Holy Spirit. So you're like, well, I don't know if this is the Spirit or not. Well, when life is hard, when life is beating you up, when it's a struggle, when it's pain, is there joy? Because wherever that joy is inside of you, that's where the Spirit is. That's where He's at work. That's where he, you, when you surrender, it's like, oh, that's where He's at work. Though Sometimes I feel like you've got a hundred different voices in your head, and you've got to figure out which one is spirit and a lot of times all the rest of the voices are screaming at the top of their lungs like a bunch of toddlers <laughs> like now now you got to do it now you're gonna miss out if you don't do it now it's gonna be all bad it's gonna be terrible you'll never want this and the spirit speaks come but if you can recognize where that voice is you can recognize it by he gives joy through the joy given by the holy spirit peace romans chapter 8 verse 6 The mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. In Romans 8, we're going to get into Romans 8 probably next week. Romans 8, it talks about how your mind has a lot to do with what you're relying on, who is filling you. Are you filling you? Is the world filling you? Or is the Spirit filling you? The mind, it says, governed by the Spirit, the mind that the Spirit has, is, is in charge of is life and peace. Peace comes from being filled with the Spirit. Peace is a work the Spirit does in us. Um, John 14, 26 and 27, um, really good verses 
that go together. And the reason I am asking to read both of those verses is because the first verse talks about the Spirit, and the second verse is implied this is a product that the Spirit gives. A lot of times we read verse 27, but we don't connect it to verse 26. So who's got John 14, 26, and 27 for me? So the peace I leave with you, not like the world, that peace that Jesus says, I'm leaving with you. The verse before it, he said, I'm leaving you with the Holy Spirit. The Father's going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go. The whole context of this discussion is Jesus says, it's better for you if I go, because when I go, the Spirit will come. And when the Spirit comes, the implication is, I've left you peace. Not like the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled. That, that peace comes through the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit, which I think, I'm not overstating it to say, probably these, this list of stuff, and, and specifically love and joy and peace to start off with, is stuff that our world is chasing but can't get. They understand that love is, love matters, love is the thing that, that has worth and value, but they can't figure out selfless love. So, you know, it always has this bent back to me. They, they understand joy, enjoyment, but they don't understand abiding joy. They don't understand joy when life is hard or, or bitter or distasteful. It doesn't make sense. How do you have joy there? You've got to pursue. You've got to push. You've got to get back to the things that you desire in order for you to have joy, except that joy is just, joy is just a, a vapor. Peace. How many people in this world are chasing peace all day long? These are gifts the Spirit gives us, but these are not the only gifts the Spirit gives us. I want to get somebody to get Romans chapter 8, verse 2 for me. Who would read that for me? Okay, Matt. Um, 2 Corinthians 3, 17. All right, Mike. Uh, Acts 1, 8. Megan? Romans 8, 16, important one. Gene? And John 3, 5 to 8. Okay? So let's kind of keep going on what does the Spirit give us? How can we figure out what it means to be filled with the Spirit? Part of what it means to be filled with the Spirit is that these things are being realized in our life. And by, in the opposite way, in contrast, when I can't seem to find these things, it means... I have been pushing the Spirit's work away. I have been limiting him or, or trying to squash him down and not allowing him to take over my life. My frustration in life so often is God's re like medicine for me to recognize that I am trying to be in charge where I should be letting the Spirit be in charge. Like if I'm holding a grudge, that's going to be me going, yeah. It's because they were wrong and I can't let them off the hook. But the Spirit's not saying that. What's the Spirit saying? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as you have been forgiven for Christ's sake. 
That's what the Spirit said. You can let it go. But Romans 12, vengeance is mine, I will repay. So repay no one evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the way the Spirit instructs us. So if we're frustrated, if we're not experiencing, if we can't find these things, it's because instead of allowing the Spirit to break out, we're like, Spirit, stay where I put you. I'll let you know when I need you. Stay in the closet. One time there was a, a conference that, this Christian life conference or whatever that I was at, this guy drew a, a circle on the board. He said, this is, this is your heart, this is your soul, this is your life, this is your insides, this is the real you. And he said, and then, you know, one day you invite Jesus in and, and he comes in, he kind of drew a door on the side, he comes in here. Let's just say you've got rooms all around here and he comes in and you're like, Jesus, welcome to my home. And Jesus is like, what's behind that door? Like, nothing's over there. Don't worry about that. That's, that's nothing you need to worry about. I've, I've decorated this whole living room as a celebration for you to come and pay no attention. And he just goes right over that door and is like, this is where I want to go. You're like, give me a minute. So you go inside, lock the door and be like, what am I going to do with all this mess that I don't want Jesus to deal with? And you start building closets, shoving everything in the closets, throwing blankets over stuff. And then you're like, Jesus, welcome in. And he walks right over to the place like, what about this stuff? Like that idea is that God is pursuing us, but he's not done pursuing us when we let him in. He's pursuing us into these places where we don't want him to, to mess with us. We don't want to surrender. We don't want to give in to him. So being filled with the Spirit is this surrendering and recognizing there is more to surrender. Recognizing the stubbornness of my self-will, of me wanting to be in charge. And it's counterintuitive because one of the things that, that the the Spirit gives us is freedom, but surrender doesn't feel like freedom unless you understand. So, Romans chapter 8, verse 2. The Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And if you don't think that's a big deal, the law of sin and death is sin brings death. And you've sinned. The law is death. But the Spirit has set you free from the law of sin and death. You are free. 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So there's places in our life where we can't seem to get free. We can't seem to get untangled. We can't seem to... The Spirit gives Freedom. So if I am struggling to experience freedom somewhere in my life, it's an indication that I am not allowing the Spirit access or control or rule over that thing in my life. I need to learn. And I'm not saying it's, again, I'm not saying it's a switch. Flip it on. Here it goes. I'm saying it's a process where I learn how to get out of the way, how to say, God, I'm going to trust you completely. Spirit, you can have that. Show me what that means. Lead me so that, that I have the freedom that you give. What a powerful thing it is to have freedom in the Spirit, isn't it? 
that I no longer have to live as a slave to fear, to sin, to death, to any of it. I am now free from it. Kind of like what Dave was saying on Sunday, the idea that I am dead to sin. But later on in, in Romans 6, it says, for he who is dead is freed from sin. We are free. We do not have to live any longer in it. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Specifically power here for witnessing. Power for redemption. Power for making God's appeal to mankind to be reconciled to God. But power, you will receive power. The Spirit is the source of supernatural strength in God's people. It's what allows you to keep going when you are ready to give up. When it feels hopeless and you feel helpless and you feel beat down and you feel worn out. The Spirit is a source of power. So when I am filled with the Spirit, I will have the power to do the God-sized things that are in front of me, that God put in front of me so that I would learn I can't do them. The Spirit's going to have to do this in me and through me. Best, the best and most natural example I can think of are personal relationships. I say to couples who are premarital, premarital counseling all the time, what you are going to vow to one another, you can't do. Spirit has to do it in you and through you. Parents, you have a child. We were, I was just talking about this with some of our, our uh, folks coming in from around the country. Like, they hand you your first child and you're walking out of the hospital and you're kind of like, do these people know I have no idea what I'm doing? I'm not sure they should be letting me go out of these doors with this little baby because I'm not sure the baby's safe. I don't know, I'm not sure I'm safe, but, you know. We don't know what we're doing. We feel helpless and powerless. Parenting requires the filling of the Spirit. If you want to do it in a way that has the Spirit's work and the Spirit's fingerprints on it, you've got to surrender and allow the Spirit to fill you. One of the most important things the Spirit gives us, Romans 8, 16. Who's got that one? The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Okay, so the Spirit testifies within us that we are God's children. We call that assurance. Have you ever met somebody who's like, I'm not sure I'm saved, I'm not sure I'm saved, I wonder if I'm not saved, what if I'm not saved? Even though you're like, you're saved. You know what I mean? We call that a lack of assurance. Where do I get assurance from that I am a child of God? From the Spirit. What I can tell you almost all the time when someone is struggling with assurance of their salvation they don't know how to be filled with the Spirit. They don't know how to allow the Spirit to be in charge of their life. And they're messing up and they're living willfully and they think it's all them and they're living condemned by the law. They're living in shame. They're living whatever. They're, they're just not controlled by the Spirit. They're controlled by all kinds of other things under the guise of being good or under the, the rebellion or whatever. They, they are just not. They're found, they found a thousand different ways and a thousand different excuses for the Spirit to not be in charge of them. It's something else to be. And the, the byproduct of that is, when I get to heaven one day, I don't know what God's going to say to me. I don't know what the Lord's going to think of me. I don't know if I'm going to be able to look at him face to face. I don't know what I'm going to do when I get to heaven. But the Spirit 
bears witness with ours that we are the children of God. The Spirit brings assurance. John chapter 3, verses 5 to 8. Yeah. So the spirit gives birth to spirit. You must be born again. The idea there is simple this. The spirit makes us new. The spirit brings newness to us that we are not the people we were before the spirit took over. And we don't act like the people we were before the spirit took over because the spirit brings new birth to us. And birth is that identity cementing moment. I know the world's got all kinds of comments about your identity. Let's just face the reality. When you are born, you are who you are. Your birth determines your DNA. It determines your family of origin. It determines so... It is a moment of defining identity. So, new birth defines a new identity. And it is the spirit who brings that new identity to us. So being filled with the Spirit results in these things. Naturally, not in any forced way, not in any condemning, comparative, chasing, running, treadmill, none of that. It, as I surrender to the Spirit, as I understand what it means to allow the Spirit to control me, to have me, to fill me, this is what is produced in me. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, freedom, assurance, power, new birth. These things are the work of the Spirit and many, many other things. They, I'm not telling you that being filled with the Spirit is an all or nothing proposition either. In other words, I can testify there are times where you can allow the Spirit to have some part of your life and not another. And the Spirit's at work in this part of your life and this part you're trying to do it yourself. That Sounds so double-minded, and it is, but it's possible to allow the Spirit to have some of you and not all of you and to experience some of the fruit of the Spirit and some of the gifts of the Spirit, not all of it, because you're choking it out. But what we're supposed to do is be on a pathway where we learn what it means for us in a daily, practical way, continually and all the time, to be filled with the Spirit, to allow the Spirit to have all of me, to allow Him to dig deeper into to the places in my life that I've been trying to hide or wall off from him and allow him to have me, being filled with the Spirit. All right, I really thought we were going to get through the next part as well, but we will come back. There's a question. Question. John what? It's John 3, um, verses 5 to 8 is what it is. Deborah. All right, we will come back to that next week because now we're going to look at what the Spirit does in us and causes us to do, which is, I think, even more indicative. It brings confidence to our lives that we know how to walk as children of God if we understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So to, tonight, we've looked at what the Spirit gives us, and that means as I learn how to walk in the Spirit, as I learn how to live by the Spirit, be filled by the Spirit, 
I will see these things grow up as naturally as an apple tree produces an apple. These things will show up in my life in increasing measure to the proportion that I have allowed the Spirit to be in charge of me. All right, we'll, we'll pick that up next week. I want to thank everybody for joining us online tonight. We are going to let you guys go, and we're going to close after taking some prayer requests here tonight. So we'll see you, Lord willing, on Sunday.